Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of the Cody Tucker Show. As always, I'm your host, Cody Tucker. Be sure to like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, so... I think we're just going to go ahead and start right into it. Oh, also, uh, thank you for everyone who uh, joined in on the old uh, live that I did. First one I've ever done. Pretty uh, pretty nice getting to talk, to talk to some people, see how things are going. Um... Yeah, very much enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, a few things came up that definitely kind of was... Uh, so just, I've noticed that things have been kind of getting on my nerves lately, more so than usual. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just like developing a bit of a temper. Uh but my God, I've just been getting irrationally angry <laughs> like at everything. So what set it off was I made a phone call to someone that which might have already been my mistake to even make a phone call in 2024, but made a phone call person. I hear, well, so I hear in the phone call, uh, hey, what's up? And then I'm like, oh, hey, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. Start going into it. Oh, what? I can't hear you. Oh, and then I kind of go, and then, wait, no, hold on. I, I can't hear you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's me. I'm uh, just calling to see about blah, blah, blah. And then, gotcha. Uh, this is my voicemail. You know what to do. Beep. Oh, my God. Now, 10 years ago, that would have been like, <laughs> you sneaky little bastard. You got me. Now, I wanted to drive to that person's house and, I mean, give them a goddamn blood eagle. Like, I am, I am not joking. I wanted to rip their fucking lungs out from the back of their ribs. Like, I... I do not consider myself to be a violent person by any means. Terrified of fighting. Terrified of being in a fight. Terrified of getting hurt. Uh, really just a scared, uh, wimpy little bastard uh, through most aspects of my life. But there is something so just blood-boilingly irritating about that shit. And I've noticed that there are things that have just been driving me nuts lately. Now, doing a little fake, the little gotcha voicemail thing, I mean, again, I will say about 20 to 30% of that is on me for even making a phone call. In a world where you could just text someone, why would you make a phone call? But I hate texting. I hate it. I hate messaging. I hate DM. I hate all of that. I like, really, I don't like talking on the phone either. If I, w I prefer to talk to somebody in person. I hate texting people. I hate talking on the phone. But between texting and talking on the phone, I would rather just call you, get the shit over with, hang up, and be done with it. Instead of having to wait 10 minutes for you to finally, like, decide to text back. So part of, I mean, part of this is my mistake because I'm trying to live in a world that no longer exists. But, oh my God, the just, the fury that was... I mean, that was just enveloping my soul. Boy, it was a... That's not good. I shouldn't be this angry. I'm 30 goddamn years old. I shouldn't be this angry at, like, little shit like that. I mean, I don't necessarily consider it little shit. It pissed me off. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm living my truth, goddammit. Um, but yeah, there's a handful of things like that that I've just been noticing. Uh, I feel like I've been noticing people chewing with their mouths open way more than I used to notice. I mean, I've always kind of noticed it because it was like ingrained into me that you never do that. That chewing with your mouth open, making any noise while you're eating is just the most disgusting thing you could do. It was driven into my psyche. And I, I don't feel like I ever like was that anal about it. But lately, I've noticed myself wanting to, like being at a restaurant... And hearing it, somehow hearing it throughout all the other sounds of the hustle bustle in a, you know, a fancy restaurant. Hearing just a, and wanting to 
push the table, politely walk over, and just slam that fucker's head right into their plate. <laughs> like, it has become much harder for me to resist the urge to shove a fork in someone's goddamn carotid whenever I hear smacking. It, oh, it drives me nuts. And I, it did not used to drive me this nuts. It always made me just feel like, God, why would you do that? But it never made me want to cause physical harm to someone. Maybe it's just part of getting older. I don't know. Anyways. Um, so, going to... Let's just go ahead and see what's going on in the world. Fuck all of this. I'm really just rambling on to nothing. But again, thank you to everyone who did uh, join into the live. It was actually quite a turnout, which I was pretty surprised. Um, and got some good questions, um, uh, which I was going to, you know, some of them I wasn't able to answer on the live, so I'll answer on here, which is kind of one of the points of doing it. I was like, well, let me just get some ideas for like some questions. I tried to answer everybody's questions best, uh, to the best of my ability on the live, but you know, uh, I'm only one woman and, uh, I, so some of them, I mean, I'm not going to do them cause it's fuck it. Who cares? Um, a lot of movie questions, which I appreciate as a big uh, movie buff, uh, uh, fan of film, as one would say. Uh, I'm always down to kind of rank movies and to also talk shit about movies that I do not like. Forrest Gump. Uh, but let's just go ahead and talk. Actually, so in somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, speaking of that. So I watched this documentary on Netflix. Hell Camp. Teen Nightmare. <laughs> it was a uh, pretty highly rated on the old uh, on the old flicks. Which, okay. So before I go into that, I I I'm kind of curious if I'm alone on this or not. I will subscribe to Netflix. So Netflix is the only streaming service that I do not constantly keep. HBO, uh, well, Max, uh, the the Cock. Uh, there's a few of them that are just constant. Like, do I watch the cock a lot? No. But every once in a while, I want to watch wrestling from the, you know, I want to watch Attitude Era WWF. So I'm, you know, firing up the cock and watching it. And Max is, Max is without a doubt the greatest streaming service on the planet. Uh, they are in no way a sponsor, obviously. But uh, <laughs> uh, I wish they were. At least just to give me like a free fucking subscription. Because it's like goddamn $17 now, I think. Which is, I mean, they do have the best shit. So, it's kind of worth it. But, Netflix is one of the ones that like, whenever I subscribe to it, I realize, oh, there's nothing on here. <laughs> like, and it's a very uh, pricey subscription compared to most. And, you know, not to brag, but I got a little, you know a little scratch in my pocket now, uh, nowadays, but still like, I'm not interested in, you know, taking out a, a bank loan just so I could watch fucking the American gladiators documentary. Although kind of worth it. Cause that American gladiators documentary was amazing. And going back and rewatching it definitely, uh, was able to pinpoint the reason why I am highly attracted to muscular women. <laughs> I never really understood where it came from. And then I was watching, I was like, Oh, this is where that came from. <laughs> I used to watch this every day and boy, did that, uh, imprint on a, on a young, uh, Cody Tucker. So, all right. So I watched this hell camp teen nightmare. And if you have not watched this, Oh my God, it is. I mean, it, it is incredible. So, to kind of, so I had kind of heard of this. So I, I had kind of heard of these camps, um, because of like the Paris Hilton shit. That apparently she was in one in Provo, Utah, and I guess some shit happened to her that was not so good. Um, but this one, they actually like go in and show you what happened, what was going on in these camps. So basically, what happens is these teens, who most of them are not really that bad off. I mean, yeah, you're, you know, you're doing a little crank here and there, but uh, it could be worse. You know, these teens are getting sent to, I'll leave this on, these teens are getting sent to, you know, 
which I didn't realize was, this is what was going on. They're getting sent to the middle of the fucking desert. And <laughs> a bunch of, like, you know, 16-year-olds going through fucking heroin withdrawals are forced to hike, <laughs> like, 400 miles through the Utah desert. And one of them dies. What a shock. The most shocking thing, and there's a lot of shocking shit in this documentary. The most shocking thing to me was that only one person died. Now, I have, you know, not to brag, but I've spent a lot of time around people who are addicted to very hard drugs. Getting them to do any sort of physical activity is, I mean, it's like teaching a fucking house cat how to water ski. Like, it ain't, it ain't happening. Yet, they were somehow able to make these, you know, kind of shithead teens walk across this desert. And they all kind of did it. And actually, a lot of them were like, yeah, kind of glad I did it. Finally felt like I accomplished something in my life. Um, And then, of course, there are a few that are like, it was hot. (laughs) Which would have been me, for sure. I would have been complaining my ass off. And I probably should have been sent to a hell camp. Um, You know, now that I look back at my life, I should have... I 100% should have been sent to a hell camp on numerous occasions. I was a complete shithead as a kid. Very uh, argumentative, lazy, still, I still, uh, I retained both of those attributes. But, um, you know, it was really bad in my uh, teen years. So, for sure, if uh, mom and pops had, you know, $30,000 lying around. They probably would have sent my ass to the desert. And I would have... Boy, it would have turned into Lord of the Flies real quick. I mean, you... There ain't no chance in hell you could have got me to walk across that fucking desert. But, I mean, they were able to. And then, yeah, they're, like, complaining that they were, like... You know, it was bad conditions. You know what would have helped? Don't do drugs. Don't be a piece of shit to your parents. Then you don't have to get sent to the desert. (laughs) I mean, it's not rocket surgery. You just be a normal, decent person, and you don't have to get punished for shit. It's one of the best things about... I mean, goddamn, I guess I'm going to bring it up again. It's one of the best things about not drinking is that I won't ever get a DUI. That's nice. That's nice to know. It is nice to know that I'll uh, never have to worry about that again. I mean, I never got one, but I definitely worried about it. Is, uh, boy, was that a, f- that's, that seemed to be a big hobby of mine for a couple of years. Um, and you know, you know, that's that it's, uh, it is what it is, but the relief you get when you just, it's like, it's like the same thing as like when you tell someone the truth, <laughs> the relief of not having to have a good memory is very nice. Lying to people is really giving yourself a lot of extra work for no reason. Because now you suddenly have to remember what the lie was, who you said it to, and you can't like be iffy on the details. And you're kind of living in a state of fear that it's going to get brought up around the wrong person, like somebody who knows the truth. And now you're going to have to be like playing that cat and mouse game of like, oh shit, how do I lie to this person but make it sound like it's the truth for this person. <laughs> Which getting yourself in that predicament is pretty wild. So, guess what I learned? Eh, you can just tell the truth and you don't have to worry about any of that happening. And, uh, yeah, it's been pretty nice. I used to lie my ass off to people. And it felt amazing. In the moment, lying is better than sex. Like, knowing that you just... And I would do it for no reason. There was no reason for me to lie to someone. (laughs) It would be about shit that, like, didn't even matter. And I would just make up a lie. Mostly just because I have an overactive imagination and I get bored easily. So, instead of just being like, oh yeah, this is what I did today, I would just lie. Say I watched a movie that I didn't watch. Say that I read a book I didn't read. There's no reason for me to lie about that. Like, I literally used to... Every once in a while, somebody would ask me, like, um, you know, like, have you watched uh, such as, like, I'm trying to think of one. I mean, this it's been a long time since I've actually done this, but, like, I'm trying to think. There was some movie. 
I think somebody was asking me if I watched Kill Bill. Because for the record, I've never seen it. And I don't plan on ever seeing it. But maybe this was maybe about eight or nine years ago. Somebody's like, have you ever seen Kill Bill? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> but I, as quick as possible, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. There was no reason for me to lie about that. I could have easily just said, no. Like, like I'm doing now. I've never seen it. I don't plan on seeing it. It looks dumb as shit. And I love Quentin Tarantino movies, but Kill Bill has never been a movie that has been on my radar to watch. Um, and it probably never will be, if I'm being uh, quite honest. But yeah, I just lied to this person about watching Kill Bill. And then I remember having to like basically per- like remember, like basically mark it in my head that, okay, this person thinks I've seen this movie. So if if that movie gets brought up from here on out, I have to be like in on it that I've seen it. Then I remember just thinking, boy, that's given myself a lot of work. So really, I didn't start becoming an honest person out of any kind of like moral sense. It was really just to like make my life easier. Hmm. I don't know what that says about me, but it's probably not something good. But yeah, so just don't lie to people. I don't know where why that all came about but yeah just like don't oh right if you don't do bad shit you don't get in trouble usually usually um i mean a good rule of thumb if you don't if you don't break the law you won't get arrested for something i mean it's definitely a case uh cases where that has not been true but for the most part if you just kind of do what you're supposed to do, be a decent person, like bad shit won't happen to you like that. So yeah, don't spend your parents' money on heroin because then they will spend five figures sending your ass to the middle of the desert and you might die <laughs> or sending you to the middle of uh, Samoa and you're basically sleeping on a bunch of rocks while a local uh, tribal chief does some horrific things to you, which uh, is actually what happens in this documentary. Now, the documentary, so the documentary, it's, I had to write the name down because I really wanted to make sure I remembered this. Um, The guy who started this is a fellow named Steve Cartizano. Now, Steve Cartizano is a fellow who for sure is in the running uh, for biggest asshole of all time. <laughs> I mean, this guy, it just keeps, and it keeps getting worse and worse throughout the uh, documentary. Like, it, he was, and then it turns out that his, both of his kids end up being fucking heroin addicts. And you're like, oh, what a shock. <laughs> the guy who thinks he's going to cure people's uh, children of their, uh, Issues by sending them to the desert and basically torturing these fucking kids. Uh, I mean, there is, you know, like you should feel sorry for the kids that are sent to the desert, but it's really hard not to. I mean, it's really hard to. Like, it's really hard to feel sorry for like whiny teenagers. You know, like they interviewed one of the guys who was kind of like the, I mean, I mean, kind of like a camp counselor, but more of like a drill sergeant. And this fucker's like on an oxygen tank, and he clearly doesn't give a fuck about what he was doing back then. <laughs> He's like sitting, sitting there, hoses in the nose, just like, oh yeah, they're a bunch of fucking brats. Like, <laughs> he doesn't care at all. Like, ah, we were doing the right thing. And I shouldn't be on his side, but I am. Fuck it. I mean, I would have loved to have been in his shoes. I mean, I would not have liked to have walked across the desert for any reason. I mean, unless I was goddamn Moses, there'd be no reason for me to walk across the desert. But if I got to watch a bunch of kids, uh, if I got to watch a bunch of teenagers sweat out, you know, their uh, DTs, isn't that what it's called? DTs, heroin? What draws like they call Detox, yeah. Yeah, if I could watch a bunch of 16-year-olds DT in the middle of the desert, I'd be, it'd be worth it. <laughs> just saying, like, oh, my skin hurts. Like, <laughs> I bet it does, bitch. Uh, maybe you shouldn't have been sticking needles in your damn arm. So, anyways, but Steve Corazano, massive piece of shit. 
And then, yeah, it's like, well, who who would have th- uh, thought that both of his kids end up being massive drug addicts? And then they're interviewing his wife, who is, like, clearly pilled out of her fucking head and has no clue what was going on with her own kids. And uh, they're asking, like, what happened to the son? She's like, oh, he's in prison. <laughs> yeah, I bet he is. Uh, I bet he is. Oh, yeah. So I actually grew up, I mean, one of the reasons why this kind of, like, was interesting to me in general was so I grew up in a city where uh, one of these types of uh, institutions was, or I guess still is. I think it's actually still there. It was a, um, I mean, I probably won't say the name of the place just in case, but uh, I mean, <laughs> it was a, in a sense, a boarding school. But also, in a sense, a hell camp. So, like, it wasn't necessarily a school because they went to school with us. Like, the kids who got sent there went to school with, went to the high school with all the other kids. But they all lived in these, like, log cabins and had very weird, ultra, ultra Christian uh, rules that they had to follow. And then, like, you're talking to these kids and you're expecting them to be, like, bad kids because, like, they're getting sent you know, from all over the country to this, you know, stay in these fucking log cabins because they've been, you know, killing people or whatever the hell it is they're doing. And you talk to them, you're like, oh, y'all aren't, like, that bad. <laughs> like, at all. And then it turns out they just all have rich parents who don't want to deal with their kids' bullshit, so they just send them away. And, yeah, you realize, like, oh, okay. So that's how this world works. Like, the truly bad kids don't get these types of treatments. They they go through the public school system to the point where they either drop out or somehow uh, squeak by, and then they end up just plummeting. That's the reality of, like, bad kids. These are just kids that are, like, acting out because their parents don't give them any goddamn attention because they're they're probably drugged out of their minds. But they're on designer drugs, so that's okay. Uh, but they're not paying any fucking attention to their kids. So, yeah, it's way easier for them to send their asses to, you know, an island or the desert or uh, East Texas and (laughs) hope for the best. But, yeah, I remember, like, talking to these kids, and I became friends with, like, most of the kids who were in this school. And I was like, yeah, y'all are, there's nothing wrong with y'all. I'm way worse. (laughs) Like, I'm doing way worse shit. I'm, like, you know, doing, like, whippets and shit, like, before school and Nobody's sending me away to any place. So, yeah. And they all, for the most part, I mean, not all of them, but, like, most of them turned out pretty good. Like, the ones that I've, like, kind of kept in touch with have, like, turned out very well. And I don't think it had anything to do with them being sent to a log cabin uh, community in the Piney Woods. Uh, I think they were just all right from the (laughs) get-go. Anyways, fuck it. Who cares? So, if you get a chance to watch this Hell Camp, you definitely should because it is utterly fascinating. Uh, But let's go ahead and just move on to the next subject, which is a bit of a letdown, but, you know. Mm. If you're noticing that I am wearing pajamas uh, under this because why not? So, uh, at first I was actually kind of embarrassed by that. And then I realized, why the fuck would I be embarrassed about that? All right. So, I preface. There, there aren't a whole lot of like t- television shows, like full series, that I've ever really gotten into. Uh, I mean, there's a few, I guess, a couple. But not. I'm not like a huge TV show watcher. Way more of a movie watcher. But with that being said, love The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, The Wire. It's hard scripted. And then I am kind of a sucker for reality TV. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Uh, I mean, as a kid, massive fan of Laguna Beach and The Hills. Um, the Real World, stuff like that. There's one show... That for me has reigned supreme my entire life, basically. Uh, starting in 
was I believe 2000. I remember with the, with the folks watching the very first episode of the show have not missed an episode since. And it has been on for about 46 seasons, I think. 46, yeah, I think like 46 seasons. Have never missed a single second of this show in all that time. Now, obviously, you should probably know the show I'm talking about is Survivor. It is the greatest television show ever made. Uh, it's a mixture of everything that I love. Lying, swindling, strategy, you know. The Holy Trinity. Like the Catholic Trinity, but regardless. Now, <clears throat> there's a bit of a uh, controversy surrounding a former Survivor contestant. Not just contestant, a Survivor winner. A fellow by the name of Nick Wilson. Here it is. Kentucky Republican introduces Bill to legalize sex with first cousins. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, if you don't know... That guy, that guy who now, the smile seems much creepier than he used to. Uh, that is Nick, who won, I believe, Survivor... Oh, I'm not going to have the number right. Maybe 37? 36? It was David versus Goliath, I believe, is the uh, like subtitle of that season. And at the time, he was a lawyer from Kentucky... And has now kind of worked his way up. And, you know, is like, all right, now that I've worked my way up, I'm going to start making some changes around here. I'm going to try to make Kentucky <laughs> a better place. How am I going to do that? I'm going to let you fuck your cousin. <laughs> We're going back to the grassroots, baby. <laughs> we are going to make Kentucky what Kentucky has always been. Now... I don't know if cousin fucking is it may as it may as well be the national sport of Kentucky as far as I'm concerned and I would sure like to get a look at what his cousins look like cuz there has got to be at least one cousin uh that he <laughs> has set his sights on if I were in his family I'd be looking around like oh no he's coming for all of us <laughs> literally and figuratively so <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess to introduce a new segment, uh, dipshit of the week, 100% goes to Nick Wilson, survivor winner, uh, million dollars. Really just shows you cannot buy your way out of being just straight southern trash. <laughs> like, no amount of money really takes, you know, you could take the girl out of the trailer park, but you can't take the trailer park out of the girl. And that is what we've seen with a Survivor winner, Nick. My God. Like, now, I guess to a certain extent, why not? I mean, if you want to. If you're both adults, who cares? Um, and that might be the trailer park and me talking. If I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of realizing, uh-oh. But still, at the same time, yeah, like if you if you want to, you want to. If you both want to, I mean, as long as you both want to. Hmm. That might not be a good take on my behalf. Well, I've had worse. I mean, God, like that's what you're gonna do. You get put into office, and I don't I don't know what level of office he is, and it doesn't really matter. If you get put into office, there's got to be things that are more important. Like, what do your roads look like? You got potholes around? Take care of that first. Uh, legalizing uh, cousin fucking has got to be something you're doing second term. <laughs> like, that's not a first term uh, need. <laughs> like, take care of the uh, infrastructure first, you know. Make sure the roads are good. Make sure the schools are getting funding, I guess. Keep the libraries open. I mean, Kentucky probably only got about one and a half libraries. And by half, I mean, like, there's probably a gas station that has some magazines in there. Uh, field and stream, mostly, I'm sure. But, you know, make sure that that stays open. Worrying about, you know, I mean, turning <clears throat> turning family reunions into orgies is probably not, probably doesn't need to be uh, on the agenda. 
<laughs> oh God, man, what a what a letdown for the uh, survivor community. There have been worse winners. I mean, I guess for uh, you know, actually, I might do a video on this guy because it's pretty interesting. I think it was season. Was it season three? I mean, it was like early, early. There's a winner named Brian Hedick, Heidick, I think is his name. He's been fucking 20 years since I've watched this, but I think it was like Brian Heidick. And, I mean, he was like very good on the show. But there was something real creepy about this dude. Like just kind of nothing behind the eyes. And then it turns out <laughs> that he, um, yeah, ended up being a real psychopath. Uh, at one point, I believe he was arrested for shooting his neighbor's puppy with a bow and arrow. Yeah. Like, we need to talk about Brian. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do, I'll have to do a video on him, like a, or make that part of like a little half ass history video, because that's actually pretty interesting. Like the full story of that. But yeah. So there's that. Um, and I believe like Jeff Probst even came out and said like he's like the most. What did he. How did he word it? It was something like. Um, like un. Not unforgivable. Like something like he's like the most like cold like callous winner they've ever had. And so he's like one of the only people they've never offered to come back. <laughs> it's like. Like, they basically kind of pretend like that season didn't exist. And for good reason. Like, I've never seen it in any, like... I don't think I've ever seen anyone from that season ever back. Like, yeah, they, they kind of consider that season a wash. Which is pretty interesting. Uh, but anyways, Nick, come on, man. That You didn't, you ain't got to be doing that. I mean, there's probably some biblical bullshit that he's going off of. I'm sure in the Bible there's something about banging your cousin. I mean, hell, Adam and Eve. If Adam and Eve is real, then they had kids. But weren't they all three boys? Is it Cain, Abel? And then wasn't there another one? Like Hoth or some shit? <laughs> I don't think it was Hoth, but I think there was like a third one. And like, so did, so does that mean they were all fucking their mom? There's no other chicks around. But then also, Abel ends up leaving and he meets other people. How does that happen? Like, where did those people come from? If Adam and Eve are the first two people. I don't know, there's something real fishy about that Bible. <laughs> All right. So actually, I know I said that Nick Wilson might be the winner of uh, the inaugural uh, dipshit of the week. I just saw this and realized that uh, I think he's got some steep. Uh, <laughs> I think he's got some steep competition. So Martin Luther King Jr. Day was a couple days ago from the time I'm recording this. Usually a great time to look back at the achievements made by a very selfless person, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., person who stood up for the rights of African-Americans across the country in a very peaceful way. Um, a person who very well uh, revered, I believe, you know, by both sides. Now, you know, uh, you know, if you're like me and one month out of the year in school, you spend a pretty good amount of time learning about George Washington Carver, Harriet Tubman, <laughs> and Jackie Robinson, Martin Luther King was the, rounding out the the top four. That was like the Mount Rushmore of uh, black people for uh, a kid growing up in a very white suburban school. Um, so, you know, there's peanut butter, baseball, Martin Luther King. And it turns out George Washington, George Washington Carver did not even remotely invent peanut butter. <laughs> but boy, was I led to believe he was, um, or that he did. Now, rewind back. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, obviously a person who for sure deserves a holiday. I did not realize that it was 
kind of a nightmare trying to make that happen. And it didn't even happen until like the 80s, I think, which is wild. I guess in my mind, I picture Martin Luther King Jr. being like over 100 years ago. I don't know why it like... I don't know why it's like baffling to me that this was like, in, you know, this is like when like Woodstock happened. <laughs> like, I mean, he died in April 4th, 1968. That's not that long ago. Like, my grandparents were like 20. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I don't know why, like, Neil, like, the same thing I always felt about Neil Armstrong. Like, whenever I was, like, in high school and I realized that Neil Armstrong was still alive, that really messed with my head. I was like, wait, hold on a second. Neil Armstrong, that had to have been over 100 years ago. And then I was like, oh, no, it wasn't. (laughs) I mean, Wilt Chamberlain was, (laughs) you know, I think the MVP that year. (laughs) <laughs> like it wasn't that long ago. Maybe Bill Russell. It was. It's not that long ago. Um. So, all that being said, I think we can all agree that Martin Luther King Jr. is a person who deserves a holiday, deserves to be revered. Um. Did a lot of great things. Was assassinated. Usually, you don't get assassinated for being. Usually, you have. You're trying to do something good. If you're assassinated. At least it seems that way. John Lennon. Gandhi. Martin Luther King Jr. Bobby Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. Uh, I mean, Bob Marley was like an attempted assassination. People who... I mean, actually, I think there's like a... a, I'm dangerously close to copying a George Carlin bit here. Because I'm pretty sure he has one about like... People who want peace end up getting like their heads blown off. It's like, well, I guess we're not ready for that. Pretty sure that that's the George Carlin bit. Um, now, there is one person uh, in this nation doesn't seem to be as big of a fan of Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and that is Charlie Kirk. So, if you don't know who Charlie Kirk is, he's basically just a douche. And I'm not even talking like politically about like what his political beliefs are. Like, I, I mean, it's really just like how he looks. He just is that type of person. He's the type of person that is like I don't it's so hard to explain of why he makes my skin crawl so much. I mean maybe it is because he just says things that are so stupid that you're like, oh, "Okay, you suck." And then there's the whole thing of he, that he kind of looks like the roly-polies from Bugs Life. That's another one that kind of, you know, kind of puts a strike on him for me. It's just like, he's just one of those people that's like, he's the ty- he's the same type of person as the person who does open carry. And then whenever you're like, you know, why are you doing that? They think you're crazy. And then they're like, well, I can do it. It's like, well, okay, I, I know you can. I know full and well that the law says you can do this. But do you need to? Like, why Why are you doing this? Is it because you are... You have nothing else? That, like, you have no identity as a human being? You just need to, like, create one so you become the guy who carries a gun around? Like, is that's your thing. And Charlie Kirk is the guy who shows up to college campuses... And just has arguments with people. And according to him, he's like, you know, oh, we're just trying to have an open discussion. But then is the most smug human being on the planet whenever somebody is trying to have a discussion with them. And of course, he's going to like these college kids who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And because Charlie Kirk can put together a sentence decently well, it he seems like he's so much smarter than these people. But then whenever you actually look at what he says, you're like, oh, you're an idiot. Uh, case in point. Uh, what uh, I guess would be right here. What Charlie Kirk said. Um, Who was MLK? A myth has been created and it has grown totally out of control. While he was alive, most people disliked him. Yet today, he is the most honored, worshipped, and even deified person of the 20th century. Today, we're going to tell the truth and explain how this myth was born. Happy Monday. I mean, what an ass. Like, 
And you know what? He is right, actually. That tweet is right. Oh, and by the way, he's not following me on Twitter. This is just a screenshot. <laughs> I just realized this. <laughs> it says follow back. I don't think Charlie Kirk is going to follow me on any form of social media, especially after this. I mean, he is right. Uh, about the second, well, I guess technically third paragraph. Um, while he was alive, so let's break it down. While he was alive, most people disliked him. He was killed. That's a pretty good indicator that there were people who didn't like him. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't like James Orway was like, God, I love Martin Luther King Jr. so much. I just got to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Of course people hated him. He was an outspoken civil rights activist in a, in the segregated South. Yeah, he made a few enemies. Um, yet today he's the most honored, worshipped, and even deified person of the 20th century. Yeah. You know why? Because we realized from the 1960s to now that he was right. <laughs> that he was doing shit. That... Uh, mattered that he was changing the world for the better and doing it in a peaceful way which was you know gotta have been hard to do gotta have been crazy frustrating i mean he was put in jail multiple times uh you know i mean he was murdered because he was trying to help people so yeah that usually will make someone deified kind of like charlie kirk's real hero uh white jesus Charlie Kirk has spoken multiple times about being a pretty big Christian. Well, that third paragraph sounds a wee bit like, actually, if you took 20th century, marked it off, and said uh, 1st century, it would exactly describe uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, Jesus. So, yeah, that's how that works. Jesus, a lot of people didn't really like Jesus. So much so that they hung his ass up and killed him. Um, and guess what happened to him? He became a literal deity. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, that is kind of how that works. Now, did Martin Luther King Jr. Was Martin Luther King Jr. a perfect... I mean, I gotta take that down. That's driving me fucking nuts. Was Martin Luther King Jr. a perfect person? No. Did he... Commit adultery, sure. Did he, you know, possibly witness a sexual assault and do nothing about it? Yes. Was he possibly committing some acts against people not quite of age? Maybe so. Uh, not in any way justifying that. I mean, I'm literally saying maybe so because I don't think it's ever been proven whether he did or not. Now, cheating on his wife, all that stuff, yes. The adultery, that's proven. <coughs> but it is just kind of, as far as I know, I don't think it's actually proven whether or not he, um, you know, did anything to anyone else. Or, you know, about the sexual assaults or anything. But, yeah, so Martin Luther King, not a perfect person. And a lot of people disliked him because... He had somewhat communist ideas, or at least seemed communistic at the time. Uh, but, you know, if you are trying to help a group of people who have been forced into poverty over a couple hundred years, it's going to be pretty hard for them to just, you know, claw their way to the top. Like, uh, yeah, so you might need a little bit of assistance in kind of getting some footing for this group of people who, you know, have been pretty well fucked over. So, okay, is he a communist? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not by the actual definition of communism. And certainly not, I mean, he's not goddamn Fidel Castro by any stretch of the imagination. But for that dipshit, Charlie Kirk, to be thinking like, oh, we're going to take down Martin Luther King Jr. I mean... Do you just not have anything better to do? Like, that's really what it comes down to. Like, how bored could you possibly be in life? Like, that's who you're taking down. Take down Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was an actual horrible person. And it has become an actual saint. By definition, is a saint. 
But when you go back and look at Mother Teresa, horrible person. Did nothing good for anyone. Martin Luther King Jr., okay, yeah, if you're saying like the adultery, oh my God, he we can't celebrate him because he cheated on his wife. Big fucking deal. Who cares? You know what? If I was a person who, you know, like if I was African American in the 60s and couldn't go into a goddamn, you know, McDonald's without getting like my fucking head bashed in because I didn't go to the black side of the McDonald's, which I think is McDowell's. Um, but yeah, and Martin Luther King Jr. helped change that. I wouldn't really care that he cheated on his wife. I'd be like, all right, you know, there are worse things. <laughs> I mean, he look who he helped. He helped out millions of people. So, yeah, having him be being a celebrated person is. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I know this is a wild take, uh, but I think we should probably still celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. And with that. <laughs> Uh, that that'll be my platform when I run for president. Hey, MLK wasn't so bad. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a fucking moron! I mean, just and to just be such a smug prick too. Like fuck that dude. He's got to be one of the most annoying people on earth. Like he's definitely he's a hate watch because I will watch his videos and just be like, God, I hate you so much. But like I'm giving him attention. Which I shouldn't do. Oh, well. It is what it is. Alright, so with that, we'll uh, end this part of the show and uh, move on to the educational part of the program. And that will start right now. Alright, so for this uh, episode of Where That Come From, a little bit different than uh, normal. Uh, this time we're doing a, uh, and I said episode, I mean segment. I'm sure everybody knew that. Oh, well. So for this segment, uh, make it a little bit different than normal. And it's going to be the origins of the name of a very famous band. So still a word origin and, you know, all that. So it still fits. But, yeah, make it a little even more interesting, hopefully. So, for this, we're going back to the late 60s, early 70s, the peak of uh, the Vietnam War. Tensions very high throughout the country of the people who were pro-war and people who were anti-war. The anti-war movement has gotten massive. Uh, A lot of people starting to realize, maybe we shouldn't have been over there. So, throughout the country, there are rallies. So, throughout the country, by the time, holy fuck. Uh, golly, somebody smelled burnt toast. <laughs> so, by the time we get to the early 70s, anti-war tensions, very high. And there are rallies all across the country. A lot of these rallies occurring on college campuses. So, yeah, by the time we get to the early 70s, uh, college campuses across the country are having massive anti-war rallies you know, to show their opposition towards the Vietnam War. Now, for the most part, these rallies are pretty uh, peaceful. I mean, obviously there might be like a police force that comes in at some point to kind of break it up. But for the most part, pretty peaceful rallies. Now, obviously there's some exceptions. Uh, There's like, you know, the 1968 Democratic National Convention, which that turned pretty violent. But overall, they're just your typical anti-war rally well things got a little bit out of hand on the kent state campus in ohio so at the kent state campus in ohio there is a rally that is going to be organized on campus to protest vietnam war well richard nixon catches wind of it thinks it's gonna he assumes it's gonna get pretty out of hand sends in the national guard So Richard Nixon ends up sending in the National Guard to squash this, uh, you know, this rally. So when he does, what happens is, at some point, things get real out of hand on the Kent State campus. And 
the National Guard start firing on the students who are protesting the war, on the protesters. So at some point, something happens where, yeah, the National Guards, uh, the people in the National Guard just open fire on the uh, student protesters. Oh, boy. And in this, you know, melee, uh, four of the students are shot and killed. Now, side note, one of the students who was there who witnessed the shooting was a fellow named Joe Walsh, who would later go on to join the Eagles. Uh, But that's, you know, just a little side fact. Two of the students who were shot and killed are Allison Krauss and Jeffrey Miller. Uh, those two students shot, killed. Um, so yeah, two of the students shot Allison Krauss, Jeffrey Miller. They have a friend named uh, Gerald Cassell, who at the time was a musician on campus, kind of hopped around different bands. Uh, Gerald, very close with Allison and Jeffrey. So he has just seen two of his friends shot um a little bit of time later Gerald's still a student very torn up about this he gets together with another classmate a guy named Bob Lewis and they decide that they want to make a band they still want to pursue music now obviously the Kent State Massacre is you know weighing heavy on their minds at this time it, like it has not been a very long you know since the uh since the murders and yeah they are still very torn up about it they believed that um Kent State the Kent State shootings was a sign of the uh the devolution of society that society was devolving there was a devolution of society like that's what they how they kind of saw it is the uh yeah the devolving of society the devolution well they decide to bring in another classmate to help them join uh create they decide to bring in another classmate to help them start this band this is a fellow by the name of Mark Mothersbaugh who at the time was in a band with fellow Kent State classmate Chrissy Hind who would go on to make uh the Pretenders so now you have Gerald uh, Cassell, Bob Lewis, Mark Mothersbaugh. They're deciding to make a band. That idea of the devolution of society ends up inspiring their band name. They take the word devolution, shorten it, and they shorten it to Devo. So yeah, that's where the old uh, <laughs> the band Devo comes from. So. Hopefully that was interesting to you. And uh, boy, did I stumble my way through that. So, uh, all right. Take a break, and we'll do the old half-ass history. Here we go. All right, so first story that we're doing today is a bit of a doozy. (laughs) So, yeah, try to follow along. Uh, It's, uh, I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to keep up i mean it's a there's just there's a lot going on here so story today uh first story today is about legendary singer bobby womack so bobby womack legend legend um bobby womack arguably one of the greatest voices um super talented soul uh musician back in the day uh, Bobby Womack, singer of uh, Across 110th Street, probably most famous song. Um, he's born in 1944 in Cleveland, Ohio. Dreams of becoming a famous musician. Makes a band with his brothers called the Womack Brothers. Now, they start getting some attention, start getting uh, you know, noticed around the Cleveland area. And eventually, the Womack Brothers are noticed by Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke... I mean, Sam Cooke is the guy. Like, like that, Sam Cooke is top level of singers in my book. Um, so they get noticed by Sam Cooke, a living legend. 
Sam Cooke decides to take them on tour with him, uh, gets them a record deal, even has Bobby Womack joining his band at one point. So Bobby Womack is getting like all this success thanks to Sam Cooke. By Sam Cooke taking him and his brothers under his wing and, you know, building their career. Uh, so Bobby Womack does not have a career without Sam Cooke. Well, Sam Cooke in 1964 is shot and killed. Uh, very young age, very shocking moment in music history. And there's a whole rabbit hole of things to go down about the Sam Cooke murder. But don't really have time for that. But in 1964, Sam Cooke shot and killed. Well, Bobby Womack... <laughs> Bobby Womack then decides to become a real bastard. <laughs> so, less than three months after Sam Cooke, the person who basically gave Bobby Womack a career, less than three months after Sam Cooke has been killed, Bobby Womack begins a relationship with Barbara Cooke, the widow of Sam Cooke. And at one point, actually pretty early into their relationship, they decide that they want to get married. So they go to the courthouse to apply for their you know, certificate to make this thing legal. Bobby Womack shows up to the courthouse wearing one of Sam Cooke's suits. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Uh, so they go to the courthouse, apply for the marriage license. They're rejected. So they end up actually getting denied the uh, marriage certificate. Uh, now, this has all been kept somewhat hush-hush, but Sam Cooke's brothers find out about it. They proceed to beat the shit out of Bobby Womack break his jaw. I mean, they fuck him up royally. Um, now, that is not the end of the Bobby Womack story. He ends up having this relationship with Barbara Cook, with Sam Cook's widow. And they are, they do end up, you know, getting together, um, end up marrying. So, Bobby Womack does still end up marrying Sam Cook's widow. Four years later, they get a divorce. Uh, you might be thinking, well, why would they get a divorce? Turns out, Bobby Womack was having an affair. The person that Bobby Womack was having an affair with was Linda Cook, the 17-year-old daughter of Sam Cook, Bobby Womack's own stepdaughter. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Womack was out of his mind. So, yeah, there's the first one. Boy, what a way to kick things off. All right, time to move on to the next one. All right, so next one, uh, this is a pretty funny one. So hopefully you'll, uh, you know, share in the amusement. So it involves a woman named Joan Quigley, who that name you may not know, may not be very familiar with a woman, Joan Quigley. So Joan Quigley... Uh, became very famous as an astrologer and would go on TV shows back in the day and, you know, talk about astrology and how she could, you know, kind of get these readings of what would happen based on astrological charting. Well, she ends up going on like the Merv Griffin show. And when she goes on that show, she ends up just blowing up and becoming very famous across the country as this, you know, as this astrologer. Well, a couple years after that, President Ronald Reagan is shot by John Hinckley. Joan Quigley starts telling people that she actually predicted that something very bad would happen to Ronald Reagan that day and that this all came from her being able to um, <laughs> her being able to read these astrological projections. And that she she predicted that it would happen, and it did. Well, you would think most people would say, "Okay, that's a bunch of, uh, that's a bunch of bullshit. I don't believe this. Whatever." Joan Quigley's insane. Now there was one woman who very much believed her. That woman 
was Ronald Reagan's wife, the first lady, Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan immediately gets in contact with Joan Quigley and starts questioning, like, how did, like, are are you serious? You knew that something was going to happen to my husband? She's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I knew it. The, you know, Jupiter's looking up at Saturn, and I knew it. Aries is here. Um, I knew your husband was going to be shot by John Hinckley so that he could impress Jodie Foster. <laughs> and so Nancy Reagan is immediately hooked. It's like, uh, yeah, I need you around. From that moment on, Joan Quigley was then secretly hired by the White House, by Nancy Reagan, to be her personal confidant slash astrologer. She was being paid $3,000 a month. And this is back in like the early 80s. So, yeah, pretty good amount of money for someone who's just doing a bunch of bullshit. So Nancy Reagan ends up going to her for everything. Anything that has to do with her husband and his, uh, you know, events, like event planning, his calendar, whatever it is that he's going to do. Nancy Reagan runs it by Joan Quigley first to make sure that it's safe for him to do. Um, <laughs> so, and at one point, it's not just Nancy who is, you know, going to her for advice. Old Ronnie starts going to her for advice as well. So he ends up getting hooked on uh, old Joan Quigley and thinking that she, you know, has some gift. Well, it turns out Ronald Reagan was using her to, like... I mean, he was having her assist with trade negotiations, with, like, using her abilities to, yeah, like, do actual president stuff. <laughs> um, so it even got to the point to where the president's chief of staff had a calendar that was color-coded. And it was color-coded based on Joan Quigley's good days and bad days. So Joan Quigley would let... Uh, the first lady and the president know what days are good days and what days are bad days for them. And the chief of staff would have that color coded onto a calendar. Yeah. Um, now that same chief of staff later said that he believed that Joan Quigley had more power than any other single member of his cabinet. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot. Um, now, you might think, like, well, how did the public react to this? They didn't know about it. So it was actually kept very secret um, until a 1988 uh, tell-all by that same chief of staff. <laughs> so, yeah, that is uh, the story of the Reagans. Apparently using a crackpot astrologer to help run the country. Oh, my God. Alright, so last one. I shouldn't have really planned it this way, but I'm going to end it on a, a real downer. <laughs> I probably should have saved the uh, Reagan's astronomer one, astrologer one, uh, for last, but I didn't. So, this story involves the uh, Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. So, before old uh, Muammar Gaddafi got a knife up his ass, um, so, actually, rewind. If you're curious as to why Muammar Gaddafi ended up with a knife in his ass, uh, this might be one of the reasons. <laughs> so, Gaddafi was, uh, like most dictators, a bit of an asshole. And, at one point, Muammar Gaddafi decided to... So, in 1984, Gaddafi decides to host this huge, like, basketball game. of I mean, this massive event, really, but centered around uh, a basketball game in the city of uh, Benghazi. So, Gaddafi is organizing this basketball game in the city of Benghazi, and it's a basketball game for the nation's youth to come out... And, have fun. That's the uh, the idea. <laughs> well, the basketball game's going, and everybody's having a good time. All the kids and teenagers that are in the audience are enjoying it. It's a smashing success. Then there's halftime. 
And like any good sporting event, got to have a great halftime show. Well, Gaddafi's idea of a halftime show was to bring out a young man from the crowd, a fellow by the name of Al-Sadek Al-Shuaidi. Now, this young man was brought out into the middle of the basketball court during halftime to stand trial for being a dissenter to Gaddafi's regime. <laughs> and was and during halftime there was a mock trial held for this young man in which surprise surprise he was found guilty. So you would think they would just put him in handcuffs, take him out, send him to prison and then that'd be it. Well, that is not what happened. Instead, they immediately brought out some makeshift gallows, put a noose around his neck, and hung him in front of a giant crowd of little kids and teenagers. So basically, the Libyan youth were now witnessing uh, what happens to someone who goes against Muammar Gaddafi. And uh, yeah, so Al-Sadek al Shwedi is being hung in front of, uh, or sorry, Al-Sadek uh, al, al Shwedi is being hanged in front of this huge crowd of Libya's youth. And he is not dying very quickly. So his neck did not snap. Instead, he is basically like being strangled, uh, but it's lasting much longer than you would want. Well, this woman comes walking out of the crowd and walks over to those gallows. And everybody in the crowd's like, oh, she's going to like save him. Like this, this nice woman is going to, you know, maybe like cut him down, free him. Well, instead, she grabs him by the legs and starts pulling down on him <laughs> to try to kill him faster. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. So that woman ended up becoming the mayor of Benghazi. Uh, and, be, and being one of Muammar Gaddafi's most trusted allies. So there's a nice little bedtime story for you <laughs> that just shows what kind of a, I mean, just how much of a complete monster Muammar Gaddafi was. So, yeah, there we go. That'll end it for this week's episode. Uh, until next week, uh, goodbye.